Good evening, everybody, and good morning. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Gimel in Maseches Psachim. But we will start with Daf Beis and Beis, the two dots, the very last line where Yaakov Litki the Great left off. Mesvei Marazutra. As you might recall, the Gemara started, the Mishnah started with a machlo, with Or La'arbasar, the words Or La'arbasar, that we have to start doing Badika on the night. But the question is, how do we know that Orla Abbasar means night? Or is an ambiguous term. So we had a machlokas, in fact, in the very beginning of the Gemara. My Or, Rav Huna says Nagi, and Rav Yehuda said that it means Leili. Nagi means day, and Leili means night. So we have this question over here. So that machlokas led to 15 ha'aras as to whether Or means night or day. Now, we are already 11 sort of proofs in because we spent all of that base on this. And Ravari Leibowitz, according to Birnbaum, says that this is how a lot of Masechtas start with um, perhaps Reboi Rias, more proofs for something that we didn't think was so fundamental that we need. But Baruch Hashem, we have Chazal to show us just how much we don't know with all these 15 examples. As you'll see now, these remaining four examples, topics all over Shas that we uh, have context for and will bring these um, this issue to light, pun intended, as far as the or and whether it means night or day. So without further ado, let's just see these final four of the 15 um, proofs that or means night, and then we'll know that or la basar in our, in our uh, Mishnah means night. So, Mesve Marzutra. Marzutra, now, what's this Mesve? He's challenging. Who's he challenging? He's challenging Ravuna. Ravuna said that or la basar means day, and so um, we're now bringing a proof against that. What's the proof? It's a mission increases. The mission says, or So, women, when they have a child, they have to bring they have to wait seven days for a boy and then bring a korban 33 days later. So that's a total of day 40 after 40 days. And for a girl, so then they have to wait 80 days because it's two weeks, 14 days, and then another 66. So the uh, the halacha is, an interesting halacha, that if she gives birth twice within the 80 days, she doesn't have to wait again. She has she can wait until after the 80 days to bring a korban, and that korban will cover both births. Now, of course, that can't happen physically. You can't have two uh, births within 80 days. So unfortunately, the only way that this is going to happen is if a woman, Khalila, miscarries after Within the 80 days of, her, of that first birth, she miscarries. So now, if again, if she miscarries before the 80 days, then she doesn't have to wait or do anything like that. She's just going to bring one korban. It's going to cover everything. However, what if she brought the korban or she hasn't brought the korban yet? That's really the question in Kresa. She hasn't brought the korban yet, but she has a miscarriage after the 80 days. That's the question, says the Mishnah. Uh, the first words in Gimel Medalev, Hamapelas or Lishmonim Ve'echad. So now she miscarries exactly, so we know or to be night. So you see what the case is? It's the night of the 81st day. She's going to bring the Korban the following day. But she had a miscarriage the night before. So she already was past the time of, right, she was already past the 80 days, but she had not yet brought the Korban. Does that count? So Omrim, the Bechame says that for that reason, you don't have to bring the Korban. We see that they are actually, I guess, 
make it in that sense here. Basil Machaivin, Basil are gonna have to make her do another carbon. Amrlahem Basil the Bas Shamai, because Basil says the Bashamai, Bashna or Shmanim Vachad, Miyom Shmanim Vachad. So it's exactly this sentence which is really the focus, uh, or at least that which is relevant to our uh, discussion, because it's in this sentence where we say that the distinction between or and yom, you see, and certainly if they're saying what's the difference between or and yom, then obviously they're not saying what's the difference between yom and yom, they're contrasting the two, and therefore or must mean Lila. But just to finish the thought, the Beis Hillel are saying to Beis Shammai is what's the difference between the or of Shema, the light, the night of Shmoni Bechad from the day of Shmoni Bechad, Im Shiva and furthermore, well, what would, mean, what would be the difference night and the day? Well, on the day, so you see, the night and the day is really one day. So certainly, once she brought the korban, she wouldn't be able to, um, right? She, she wouldn't be able, if she had the miscarriage at that point, she wouldn't be able to have it covered by that korban. So he says, why should that be different? Basically, it's all one day. So basically, after 80 days, she no longer can have that korban cover her. And furthermore, in other words, with regards to tuma, right, shouldn't it be equivalent with regards to the carbon as well. In other words, a calendar day begins at night, so really it should all be one day. And everybody agrees that blood that was tumma that she had on the night of the 81st makes her tame, just like blood the following day, right? As opposed to blood that they had beforehand wouldn't make her tame, you wouldn't start the clock again. So, so it's a compelling argument that Basil has here that we should be treating the tumma the same way as we're treating the mis the miscarriage with respect to the carbon, um, it's logical. I'm no expert in crisis at all, but for the purposes of our discussion, we understand it. But really, the Gemara is now going to tease out um, the proof that of what or means. Just that highlight that sentence that we mentioned as follows: from the fact that Beisil in their discussion with Beishamai contrast or from day Shmami no or or to who we see that or actually means night Shmami no that's a good proof okay so Meisve so now they challenged from the following Brisa. Uh, again, they're challenging Ravuna's contention that or might mean day. They're saying, This has to do with Pigul. How many days do you have to eat a Shlomim? Three. Shlomim is supposed to be eaten on, on day three. Zvachim are eaten on uh, for just one day. But we'll see that we have some similarities and also some distinctions that the Psukim make with regards to the Shlomim that are very important. So in that discussion, we're going to end up seeing what or means. So let's see. Okay, you might have thought, says the Brisa, hey nechal or lishlishi. So what does this mean? So in context, it has to mean the night of the third day. Okay, because the Pesach says, Anything that's left, right, on the third day, you have to already burn. Okay, so fine. So you have to burn it on the third day. So does that mean that you could eat it the night before? So it says Vidinhu. It makes sense that maybe you should be able to eat it on again the night before you have to burn it, meaning after the second day, that night you can eat it. Zvachim nech why? Because Because we say 
that Zvachim you eat for one day and Shlomim are eaten for two days. And with respect to Zvachim, we say that uh, as opposed to, you know, in Judaism, usually it's uh, that's with respect to everything else. But with respect to Korbanos, we say that mm-hmm. that's a Yisod that we're going to be learning. So we know that the night is after the day. And therefore, the Zvachim, you could eat that night as well after the first day. So similarly here, you should be able to eat the Shlomim the second night. Talmud Lomar, no. The Torah is actually saying, we understand that you would think that that would be similar. However, we are specifically teaching you not that way. On the day of the Shlomim, you can eat it. And then the next day, so that's two days, but only that we infer from that you can only eat during the day and therefore you can only eat it again the first day and the second day, but only during the daytime. You cannot eat it after the second day. You can't eat it that night. Oh, well, clearly in this context, or is going to be night. And so the Bryce said, just to finish off the Bryce, however, so therefore maybe you have to burn it on that second night. Uh, if you can no longer eat it, maybe you should have to burn it then. Why are you going to wait till the third day? But didn't who? And we say it would make sense because right? Um, so again, we're going to try to compare it to Zvachim because Zvachim, again, you're eating it during the day, you're eating it at night, and then immediately as you finish, you have to burn it. So So here you're going to say, okay, as soon as I am no longer uh, allowed to eat it. Now, in the case of the Zvachim, you can no longer you can eat it during the night, so then you burn it the next day. In the case of the Shlomim, the suggestion here is that once you've finished eating it uh, on the during the daytime, because the Pasuk already told you you can only eat it until the daytime, um, so long as it is day. So then maybe once the, you hit Shkia, you have to burn it. I've contact if Lachilas Rafa says the Gemara. So Talmud Lomar, the no. So here the, the Torah again has to step in and teach you the distinction between Zvachim and Shlomim, where it says, That for whatever reason, um, the Torah decide, uh, you know, has told us, has mandated that mm-hmm. no, we're going to have an interesting thing with the Shlomim. We're going to finish eating it during the day, during the second day. Then during the night, we're not going to touch it, so to speak. And then we're going to burn it the next day. We're going to wait for daybreak the next day. We're not going to burn it at night. As the Gemara continues to expound, you burn it the next day, but you don't burn it at night. And now the Gemara is just going to bring it back to our, circle it back to our point from the highlighted sentence, in fact, that it says it should be eaten, well, we've just learned this whole thing only makes sense if in context or lishlishi means at night and therefore alma or urtahu. We see from that that or means night, shmami na. And yes, that's in fact what we learn. Good. So that was our second of the day, which I think makes it number 13. Okay, let's do number 14 here. Tashma. Or shalyom kippurim is pal shevom is vade. So or shalyom kippurim. We're going to say this is going to be like at Kol Nidre, right? Leil yom kippurim. And that's going to be the point of this. But we're going to learn some more things as as, um, as we go on here. This is sort of like Meseches Brachos. Yom Kippur, Mispal Sheva, Misvade. Mispal Sheva, we know that there's seven Brachos that we have on like Shabbos and Yantiv, where you have the three introductory and the three at the 
end and then the one in the middle to sort of signify the nature of that specific day. So you daven seven brachos in your Shmonesrei, so to speak. It's not a Shmonesrei, it's a Amida, right? Shmonesrei, but you daven in the silent in Amida or whatever in the Amida, you're going to daven seven brachos. Umisvade. And what makes Yom Kippur unique is that you also say Vidui as well. So now it's going to say, or Shem Kippur Mitzvah Shevim Mitzvah. Then Shachris Mitzvah Shevim Mitzvah. And we're going to see as we go through the entire day of Yom Kippur, you are going to do seven brachos for the Amida, and then you're going to say Vidui. And that's what we know that we do. So you start. Or then you do shachris, then be musaf mispal shev mitzvade as, as we know we have musaf, then be mincha mispal shev mitzvade as we know, and then be arvis that's already motze yom kippur mispal mein shmonaser. So the question is, can you say mein shmonaser there? Shmonaser typically there, it's going to be a regular weekday amida which has eighteen, which is the what we call the shmonaser. The question here is, can you do an abridged shmonaser like a havi nenu as you might recall from masechus brachos? Um, for that, why would you want to do that? Well, some Farshim explain, suggest, perhaps because you're starving. You may want to do a little bit more uh, brief. Uh, but Rabbi Chanina ben Gamliel, Omer Mishum Avoisav, Mispal Shmonesrei Shleimos, Mishnei Shetzarach Lomar Havdala B'chonin Adas. Rabbi ben Gamliel suggests in the name of his right elders that we don't allow this don't join that breakaway union that wants to eat right away because after all, if you don't do a full Shemonesra, you're not going to have the opportunity to say Chonin Hadas there and that's going to be a problem. And therefore, we're going to not allow it and we're going to have you do the full Shemonesra. Be that as it may, says the Gemara, Alma or Urtahu, Shema Right, clearly in this context, we have Or, then Shachos, then Musaf, then Mincha, then Arvis, so Or of there is called Nidre, right? It's there, it's clearly the night. Okay, now the Gemara finally has the 15th, the coup de grace, if you will, the final blow, Tashma, Titani de Shmuel. Okay, Birnbaum somehow picked up on this. That doesn't make sense as Shmuel because he's in Amora, and this is a Brysa. I don't know what he was talking about, but apparently the Maloha Royim says that it's Yishmuel. Okay, Titani de Shmuel, Lele Arbaasar. Well, this is this is quite a blow because it's talking specifically about our case. It's talking about the Bdikas Chametz. Uh-oh. And it says Lele Arbasar. How is Ravuna going to get out of this? This price is, it seems to clearly indicate that Or is referring to nighttime. Says the Gemara. In fact, Alma Or Or to who? We have nothing to say in the face of this now. We know that this is indisputable. Or means night. So Nagamar now asks, Ella, Bain Ravuna Bain Rabuda, the Kule Alma or Urtu. Well, well the, it seemed like a machlokas, but what seemed like a machlokas about whether or means day or night was really not a machlokas all along. Everybody agrees that or means nighttime. Below Pligi. Rather, Markiasre, Umarkiasre. Each person is talking about the dialect of their locale. Interestingly enough, where Ravuna lived, they called the night Nagi, like light. This is very similar to the idea of Lashon Sagi Nahar. We know that when we refer to a person who is Khalila blind, that it's like we refer to him as somebody who is filled with, with abundant light. And similarly here, they are saying that uh, the nighttime, they called it like abundant light, which is a nice positive way of looking at it, right? Um... Okay, 
right? Like, like uh, okay, Uvaasre Derevuna Karu Lele. I was going to say the positivity, it's sort of like the genius of where it's it's sort of like a weird calendrical coincidence. We're about to have Thanksgiving, right? We're heir of Thanksgiving, so to speak. And so we take like dreary November and December in America, and we say it's the most wonderful time of the year. So uh, this is sort of like Lahavdil, the analogy, right? Where you're taking something that otherwise is, is night, otherwise it's dreary and depressing, and you're calling it day. It's the power of suggestive, uh, of positive suggestive, uh, language. Okay. So that was what they did in the locale of Ravuna. But Uvasri the Yehuda, there they kept it real. Karulele. Yeah, they called night what it is, night. Fine. But both of them are referring to the actual nighttime. Now, eight lines down from the wide. Vitana didun. So, Aratana, my time, Alokatana, Lele. Right? Our Mishnah got us into this discussion. Thank, thank you, Mishnah, for getting us into this discussion. Uh, and now we learned all these extra things and we kicked it around the idea of what or means. But why didn't you just say Lila? That would have been uh, helpful and clearer. So my time, Lokatana, Lila. So my answer is, Lishnah, Aliyahu, Similar to the reason why Ravuna calls it Nagi, in the sense that you want to use a more positive language, more refined positive language. Lila is not vulgar. In any sense, but it's not positive. Very interesting. So, we're learning this positive language uh, teaching from Rishub and Levi. The person should never say anything repulsive out of his mouth. And we're going to have sources where the Torah itself has done that. The Torah, which we know is very economical with words. It they still has a, tried, uh, went out of its way, so to speak, to avoid um, using negative language as follows. That the Pasuk with Noach bringing in the animals from the Teva uh, added eight letters that it didn't have to add in order to say not say the word Tame. Let's see. Shanamar, because the Pasuk says, Min ha-tahora, min asher tahora. Certainly it could have said, Min but Asher Einena Tahora, you're adding eight new le- eight new letters in order to not say the word Tame. Beautiful. Later we'll ask, well, we say the word Tame, maybe I didn't count, but what is it, a thousand times? So what's going on? We'll see. In the meantime, we see the lesson of refined language. Rav Papa Amar Tesha. Papa is going to give you, uh, he's going to bring you um, a source where you actually are going nine letters out of your way. It says, Ki isha Right, when it's talking about a person becoming Tame, it doesn't say, It says, Asher lo yetahor. Oh, so that's an extra nine letters. Ravina amar eser vav de tahor. Ravina says, no, it's even going ten letters out of the way because the tahor is in fact written male with a vav, tet, hey, vav, resh. Okay. Of Achab and Yaakov Amar Sheshisrei, a more dramatic example, 16 letters. Where are these 16 letters? Ki Amar Mikre Hu Biltitahor, Hu Ki Lotahor. Okay. So it would have been enough to say Mikre Tamehu, but it says Biltitahor, Hu Ki Lotahor. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, fine. So what was that case over there, by the way? That was the Pasuk where. 
Shaul is speculating as to why David is missing. Now, we know David went out, he was ran away. But Shaul didn't realize it. That was a good thing for David. Uh, gave him some running room. And in the meantime, the way Shaul said it, so this is really a praise of Shaul, one could say, um, where he is, instead of saying, Tamei, he just says, Bilti tahor hu ki Amazing. Okay. Tan very shmael. So again, supporting this idea, a person should speak clean language. We talk about tuma, right? So we have two. We have a male zav who has emissions. He can create tuma by sitting on a saddle. So to a woman uh, with her tuma, she create tuma by sitting on a saddle. However, when they talk about a zav, they use the word merka, which is like riding the saddle. Uvi'isha, when they talk about a woman, kro moshe, they're talking about sitting, like side saddle, which is a much more refined way of speaking about women sitting on a saddle. So so that is another source. Two more sources. These are psukim from Eov that are more direct. They're not any psukim that are saying circuitous things in order to um, avoid vulgar language, there's simply psukim that are telling you directly that you should pick good language. As it says, v'tifcha l'shon arumim. Arumim here is not derogatory. It actually is referring to chachamim. Okay? So you should speak like tamid chachamim. V'omer v'das sfasai bar mileilu. It also says, my lips uh, said refined language. Okay. Now, my v'oymer, why do the b'raisa have to continue? and have to say these last two sources. What, what, what is it that we're learning from these sources in Eov that we didn't learn from the other examples of the Psukim? So the Gemara says, well, big time. You're learning something very important. Because if you only brought Psukim, you would have said, Okay, so Tanakh, okay, that's Tanakh. Tanakh, of course, has to have Torah words. It's Tanakh. But maybe the Mishnahis can keep it real, talk you know, a little bit more direct and not have to go and take scenic roots to avoid saying um, something uh, a little less refined and unsavory. So Tashma, So that's what we need the first pasuk to be Eov for. The Lashon Arumim is Lashon Chachamim, that all the Chazal also have to use this refined language. And if you're going to say that this only has to do with Right, limude kodesh, but limude chol. If you're in med school or whatever, you're taking your secular classes, then you can be vulgar at that point. God forbid. It says, "My lips explain, expressed refined language. You should always speak in a refined way." Okay. So now the Gemara is going to ask. Interestingly enough, three lines up from the bottom, and given what Aleph, "Uviisha lo ksivba merkav." What do you mean? By woman never says that she rode. Rivka rose up, and what? She rode. She rode on the camels, right? So, this is right. This is uh, our parshios over here. She's riding on camels, and it, says, it doesn't say that she's sitting. It says the Gemara. It's normal for women to ride in that context. It's not considered vulgar or anything like that because camels are very high. They're very much taller than donkeys. Nobody rides side saddle on a camel. That's ridiculous. And so yeah, that would just be not saying the truth. We're not going to go that far. Um, and therefore, we're going to say she rode the right uh, camels because that's what she had to do and that's what she did. So we're going to see there's priority lists. 
brevity, accuracy, all these kinds of things are also priorities, as we will see. And so we're not going to say the wrong thing just because we think it sounds more refined. And in fact, because it's so common, perhaps it's not even considered unrefined for to say that a woman is in fact riding a camel. Okay. Wait a minute. When Moshe uh, said bye-bye to his family as he went on on his sacred mission, he... In fact, it used the word Yarkivem with regards to not a camel, but a donkey. So why is he saying that his, his wife rode a donkey? So the Mara answers simply, Hasam, as we turn to Dafkimel Mabez, Hasam Mishum Bonav Urchahu. Yeah, because the children are certainly going to be riding. And they're traveling with their mother, so it's normal to say that they were riding. You don't have to, like, you know, distill the mother out of it and, and, and say, oh, she was riding and they were sitting, she was sitting, they were riding, it's, it's, it's okay, they were all riding, fine. Okay. Okay, well, this is pretty explicit. This is Avigail riding down a mountain at night to beg David and Shmuel Aleph not to punish her husband, Naval for uh, insubordination. So the Gemara says, Hasa Mishum Biasusa de Leila. So it says here, this is a different thing. This is, she was riding the donkey, true. So again, we see that if she was actually riding a donkey, in other words, women are supposed to sit side saddle, and then you don't call it riding. But if they're sitting and they're actually riding that donkey, so then you have to use that lushan. But the question is, why would she do so? So the answer is, first of all, as we said, she's in a high anxiety state. She's coming in the middle of the night to beg David for something. So first of all, first of all, she's fearful of the night. So therefore, it's normal. Maybe she wasn't afraid of the night, but she was certainly was anxious that she had to beg David. And so she wasn't in a state of mind to start like calmly riding side saddle. She's coming down a mountain, you know. So clearly... There would be nobody rides at night down a mountain towards David Melech's side saddle. That's not that's not a thing, and therefore that's why in that particular case uh, she rode. Okay, so now seven lines down, uh, the Gemara is talking about the Gemara asks the same thing with regards to the Tuma question that we said before. Right, we have all these examples when it says Asher Lotaher Lotaher. Why did we say there that they avoided the word tuma, whereas in other places they said the word tuma beferish? Says the Gemara, Elakol hecha dechihadadeinu. When everything's the same length, mishtayu b'lashenakia. So obviously you're going to use the cleaner alternative. But kol hecha dinefishin mili. But wherever you have a more refined expression, that's but actually has to be uh, at the expense of saying a lot more words, then mishtayu b'lashen katsar. Then you're going to say with more brevity. Now, of course, this flies in the face of everything we've been saying until now. We were just showing off how we uh, actually did, did, took the scenic route. So, the Maharsha, the Chidusha Aran is quoted in the art school as saying why those cases are specifically said in the long way. That in general, we, go, we do go with brevity, but in those cases, we went the long way. What we're left with is that typically we do have clarity, precision, and brevity, and, and, and we're very economical with the words. However, we also have these other examples to show us the importance of Lashon Nikia. So that's what the article quotes with regards to the, the um, Chidusha Haran. Now, 
just to explain the um, hierarchy of using the Lashon Nekiah, a person when he speaks should always try to be concise. But this is, whenever two expressions are equal in length, um, if the same length, so you're going to use the more respectable expression. For example, yeah, but over there when we talked about the writing of Abigail, we said Rocheves, and it was in fact the same amount of letters. The Gemara answers Rocheves, amazingly. You could have, again, said the same reasons we said. We already said the reasons. So this is the question of Birnbaum and the Menachem Eish of Nefesh and the Tzlach, that we had reasons why Abigail was writing down um, on, on, on the uh, camel that way. But the Gemara gives a different answer. The Gemara says, Ksiv Rocheves, the Rocheves is written Chaser. Uh, you know, you could have said, okay, so Yosheves could also be Chaser, but presumably Yosheves would have been written Mali. Okay. Let's talk a couple of stories now. We finish off our daf with stories of using refined language. Hanutre Talmidei, the Havu Yosvi Kamei Rav. Two students were sitting by Rav. Chad Amar. So, apparently, the Shir was a doozy. So one Talmud said, That shear made me tired like a pig. In this context means fig. Usually means some unmentionable, unmentionable vulgar thing. Whereas the second Talmud was more refined. And he said, yeah, I'm tired as a goat. Today we would say I'm tired as a dog, somewhere in between. Anyway, uh, the first one who said the more vulgar language, Rav never spoke to him again. He kind of avoided that guy. Well, it says he didn't speak with him, so I, I assume maybe then, maybe long term, but the point is he avoided the guy who spoke vulgar language as we all should. Another story. So, they were sitting in front of Hillel, these two Talmidim. So some said that it was Rabbi Yochanan Zakai sitting in front of Hillel. Some say that it was Rabbi Yochanan sitting in front of Rabbi. Be that as it may, here's the story. One of the students asked, why do we harvest grapes Right with utensils in a state of tahara, the ein moiskin betahara said a very interesting thing. He said, and you don't need to harvest olives, which is moiskin betahara. Now, ein moiskin betahara is actually a little bit of a convoluted way of saying it, but basically what it's saying is that you don't do it in a state of tuma. The chadamar, this is the more direct way. betahara So. He he was more he was more direct, but he was not as refined. So Amar, so whoever the teacher was, whether it was Hillel or, or whether it was Rebbe, he said, I'm certain that he's going to be a Poisik in Israel. And sure enough, he did become a big Poisik. So Ari Leibowitz asked a great question. Wait a minute. Shouldn't the one, like, this is what I would have thought if I was the Rebbe, that the one who's concise, he should be the posik, and the one who's refined, well, he'll, he'll be the mash, right? You should be the mashkiach ruchani. Um, so there's a lot of 
a lot of uh, questions about this. The Meiri, the Ran apparently, according to the uh, art scroll, talks about Moiskin Betuma not even being concise. It's ambiguous. So it sounds like it's gratuitous vulgar language. That's a different story. Um, but yeah, when you read it, you don't know which one, in fact, uh, whether it's Rebbe or, or um, right, or Basil actually liked better. But in context, you know that's the one that spoke in the more refined language. But we see that as, actually Moskin Batuma is, is no good altogether. Okay. So in the middle of page on Gimel and Bez, and Hanut Lasa Kahani, and we have three Kohanim, each received a measly portion of Lechem upon him, not a lot at all. Okay. So that was distributed amongst the Kohanim. Not so, not double, but keful, like the size of a bean. Not that much, but I got something good here. The other one said, I got a kizais. The third coin says, I got like a tiny size of a lizard's tail, which is not a nice way of talking. Obviously, cursing was a little different than the, that's, that, that. That goes with cultural kind of uh, over time. Um, but in any event, it was not a refined way of talking. But sure enough, they invest, investigated the lineage of that third coin, Umatsu Boshemis Psul. And they found in him that, in fact, he was flawed, that he had some sort of Psul. He was, in fact, a hollow. Wow. And they were able to tell that from the way that he didn't speak well. Um, so I, heard, I think it was Ari Leibowitz who quoted the Mepharshim who said, really, they all had the same size. And it's just a matter of perspective. You see the kind of perspective you could have three people looking at the same thing. One person thinks it's great. One person thinks it's okay. And the other person thinks it's actually terrible. Now, the truth of the matter is that you're not supposed to be allowed to check on someone's, unfortunately explain, on someone's lineage once they're uh, working in the base of Mikdash. So one possible answer to to that query, because here they are, in fact, looking at it. So one possible answer is that once he brought this vulgar language and gave them reason, as we say, evidence that maybe his lineage should be looked at, so then everybody it's a different story, and then you're, in fact, obligated to do so. Okay. Now, says the Gemara, oh, wait, no, did I say it was the Mepharshim? It's the Gemara. The Gemara says, that's what that Mishnah means, in Kedushin, that you don't investigate the lineage of a coin once he's already in there. Okay. So the Gemara gives the two answers. See, I knew I read that somewhere. Um, so the one thing to say is that they didn't find in him a psul that made him a chalal. They didn't investigate his lineage. They just found his character and his arrogance uh, to be, right, to be unsavory. And so that's just one thing. They didn't like the way he talked. And therefore, it's, it's, it's not contradicting the idea of looking at his lineage. And the second thing is what we had said, what I had said. That, yeah, maybe you can't check his lineage because he compromised himself. Once he's compromised himself, you're obligated to do so. Okay. So now we're going to go even on a digression from this. 15 lines up from the wide. Because we talk about receiving your portion. So there used to be an Armenian who, uh, as Ari Leibowitz said, you look around, you see people devote themselves to all sorts of strange disciplines, uh, right? Whether, whether it's like fishing or, I don't know, 
there's all kinds of really weird things that people could devote their entire life to. Okay, so in this particular case, this guy got his kicks out of going. Now you're not the korban pesach is not supposed to be eaten by a non-Jew by an RL. So this non-Jew he liked to pretend to be Jewish to get korban pesach. What kind of rush he got out of that, nobody knows, but this is what he did. So, He would go and eat the Pesach in Yerushalayim. Amar. Not only that, he would brag about it. He wants it to be Yehuda ben Beserach. I know that it says that Bein Nechar, which means like a non-Jew, can't eat it. And also, if you're not, if you're uncircumscribed, uncircumcised, then you can't eat it. So, I'm eating the best cuts of everything every day. I get the best carbon Pesach. And these people don't even know what they're giving, who they're giving it to. Ooh. Did they give you from the fat tail? That is the best. Did you get the asada? I mean, I assume that if you're getting the best, you're getting that. So, I'm really low. No, they didn't give that to me. So, no, no, no. When you go next time, since you always seem to get the best one, say, give me from the fat tail. That's what I want. I want the best, best, best piece. All right. You don't need to ask this guy twice. This is what he does. So, Kisalik. He said, give me from the fat tail. Next time he went, he said that. So, I'm like, Alia, look at us. What are you talking about? We don't eat that. That goes up. And it's burnt on the Mizbeach. Who told you to ask for the fat of the tail? So he said, told me. They said amongst themselves, who is this guy? They said that Rehudim Vesera told him to eat the tail. So they did some digging and, and investigation. They noticed he was, and they found out. They looked into his lineage. They, sure enough, they discovered who he was. He was an Armenian non-Jew. Uktaluhu. And then they killed him, which is very problematic. Why do you kill a person for this thing? So, apparently, the article quotes Minchas Chinuch and the Dvar Shmuel for reasons for why he would receive capital punishment for this. But, be that as it may, they caught him on this, and they sent the following note back to Rabbi Yehudim and Busera. Shlomlach, Rabbi Yehudim and Busera, hi, peace to you, Rabbi Yehudim and Busera, even though you're sitting in Tzivim, your net spreads to Yerushalayim. Another good question, Ari Leibowitz asks, why are you sitting in Tzivim? First of all, why aren't you all a regal? Secondly, even if you are not going to come up for Shavuos or, or Sukkot, Pesach, you have to bring the carbon Pesach. Where are you? If you're not bringing the carbon Pesach, there must be an excuse. He must have been sick or something. Something was up. But anyways, uh, that is a, uh, a story related to the Korbanos, and it is a carbon uh, Pesach, so it's relevant here in Pesachim in that sense as well. Okay, more examples of using restraint in speech. Rav Kahana Chalosh, Rav Kahana got sick. This is very common actually in my mother-in-law's family. Nobody wants to be the bearer of bad tidings. People can go years and years without finding out bad news. And this is the source. Shadavrua Rabbanu Rabbi Yeshua Bereder of Edi. So the rabbi sent to Rabbi Yeshua, the son of Rabbi Edi, Amrulei Zilbdok Maidinei. Go find out the situation of Kahana. Let's find out, find out how sick he is, how, how he's doing. Asa Ashkechei nafshe. When Rabbi Yeshua came... Went, he found that Kahana had already passed. Kari he tore his garment in Avelos, and he shifted 
the tear to the back so it wouldn't be visible. He didn't want the Rabbanon to see the severity of the situation. He didn't want to shock them. Uh, certainly, once they saw the tear, they would they would know right away. So he wanted to uh, avoid showing them. But he couldn't control his emotions, and so he's coming back and he's crying. So He said, wow, you're crying. Is it true? Did the worst happen as he passed away? So I, I said nothing. I never said anything. Wow. Because the Pasuk says, a person who says an evil report, that's a fool. Fools like to gossip and tell evil reports. This is a Pasuk in Mishlei, and therefore I don't want to be the bearer of bad tidings. Similar example, Yochanan Chakuka Nafak Lekiryasa. Yochanan Chakuka went into the villages to look at the crops. Kiyasa Amrle, when he came back, they said, Chiti Nasu Yafas, ah, no, so, how's the, how's the wheat this year? So Amrlehem, sorry, Nasu Yafas, the barley is good, the barley crop was good. They didn't care about the barley crop, they cared about the wheat. Amrle, they said to him, Tseu Vaser Lasusim Lachamarim, great. You can go tell the, the horses and the donkeys that the, Barley, because they're the ones that are eating the barley, get it? It's kind of a joke. He's saying, uh, what good does that do us? Tell the horses and the donkeys that the barley is good. We asked you about the wheat. That's where we learn in the Pasuk, but we know that also from life. We learn um, that the the barley is for the horses. Okay. So the Gemara asks, my Havala the Memar, wait a minute. What should he have said? In other words, what should he have said? Could he have said something else and still been uh, accurate? In other words, they were asking and they still weren't sure what was going on with the wheat. So he said, no, there's other ways of saying this as follows. He could have said, last year the wheat crop turned out well. Or or he could have said that the lentils turned out well. How does that help? Because lentils are actually edible by people. So those answers would have been a little bit better because at least they don't mention uh, confuse the issue by mentioning something that animals eat uh, as opposed to something that humans uh, consume. Um, it's said of the Chafetz Chaim, people think that because he wrote the Sefer Chafetz Chaim that he probably never was like a mute, probably never spoke in his life. But um, sources say that he was in fact quite the chatterbox, I've heard from many sources. And he did so in order to show that you could actually talk often and talk a lot and even talk about all different kinds of topics and things, um, and avoid Lashon Hara. It doesn't always have to be Lashon Hara. Not speaking Lashon Hara doesn't mean not speaking. Not speaking in a refined manner doesn't mean not speaking. But there is an art form to be being able to speak and say and, and convey a lot of different thoughts and information and ideas by keeping language yet still refined and free of Lashon Hara. May we be zochet to do so. As we arrive at the first word in Dalad Amad Aleph, Daf Dalad is in fact quite a doozy, and I see that we're at minute 42. So let's do a few more minutes, and then we'll stop. So Rav Bar Achua de Rabbi Chia. Rav was the son of Rav Chia's brother. Okay, Uvar Achte, and he was also the son of Rav Chia's sister. Now wait a minute, did Rav Chia's brother and sister marry each other? No. I mean, they did, but there, it was a blended family. There were stepbrothers and sisters. It was Rechia's brother, I think, from his father and his sister from his mother. Anyway, there were step-siblings. It was a blended family. They got married. So, Kihasalik Lahasam, when Rav went to Eretz Yisrael, Amalei Aivu Kayam. So, Rechia asked him, is Avu alive? Meaning, is your father alive? Okay. His, uh, his, his brother. So, Amalei so he said to him, so Rav responded, wait, 
is mom alive? So Amale Ema Kayemet. So if he asked, is mom alive? So Amale Ivukayam, is father alive? Amale Lishmaise, understanding that both his sister and his brother had passed away, Rafia said to his um Sharis over there, Khalotzli Minalai, Vaholich Kalai Kelai Acharai, the base of Merchatz. So again, Rav was the son, right? Rafia's brother and his sister, both from you know separate directions, were living where Rav was in Bavel. And Rav came to visit Rafia, he at that point already made Aliyah. He was in Eretz Yisrael. Rav Chia was asking about the welfare of his siblings. And so, again, in the Gemara, he said, is my brother alive? And Rav Chia said, why didn't you ask if your sister's alive? He said, okay, is my sister alive? And he said, why did you ask if your brother's alive? So, this was an, another way Rav, Rav eventually, uh, Rav Chia, rather, eventually figured out that Rav was just being elusive because, in fact, both his brother and his sister had passed away, which is why he said, take off my shoes and then uh, bring them and follow me to the base of Merchatz. Now, what is this all, taking off the shoes, what's going on? So clearly it's signs of Avelus, but he's only, then why is he going to the base of Merchatz if it's Avelus? So, the Gemara says, you learn three things from this. First of all, he took off his shoe because of Elam are not supposed to wear shoes. And that's why he was going to go to the bathhouse because we hear that he's not going to be in Avel for seven full days. This was called a Shmua Rechoka. Clearly, it happened after, um, right after 30 days. Um, it happened after a long enough period of time that he's no longer obligated to sit a full Shiva. Ushmamina makes us a Yom Kekulo. And we also learned that makes us Yom Kekulo because after all, they're going to the bathhouse straight after. Um, so therefore, they're going to, uh, that's why he said to follow me and bring all the bathhouse uh, paraphernalia because it's only going to be for a half day and then after Chatzot's going to be mixed as a Yom and then he's going to uh, end his Avelos. Okay. And finally, Hahud Amar Doin there was this man would always say, judge my case in court. So So the way, sometimes the way a person speaks, you could tell where he's from. So that person must have been from Shevet Dun because he's always saying, you know what, let a lot of court decide this. I don't, I, I'm from Shevet Levy, but um, anyways, I, I, even without it, I would, I would not guess that I was Shevet Dun. I seem I have a version to to this. Well, the pasuk says Don likes to be in the courtroom and likes to judge everyone, and so that is uh, a way from a person talking that they could tell these Shiva Don. Similar incident. On the shore of the sea, I want to live. Ah. So when they looked, they said, ah, oh, he must be from Sheva Zvulun. My wife might be from Sheva Zvulun. She likes the water. Um, Speech thus reflects uh, this idea that Zvulun says he's going to dwell, he's going to want to live by the seashore, and so too, that's how uh, they were able to tell by the affinity of this individual to the seashore that perhaps he was from Sheva and so we finish off Zalman Dave, 13 lines up from the top, on Dalan Amad Aleph, where Bezat Hashem, we will continue tomorrow in person.